Heroes on Media. This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm Emma Goswell. Time now to hear from lesbian singer-songwriter Katie Brooks. She had a really unique childhood growing up in a religious cult that was actually based in Arizona. I mean, I think it took me really quite a long time. and Not, not even until recently did I, I... I think I really struggled with the word. I was more comfortable with bisexual. Um, you know, I have been with men. It's not even that I don't find men physically attractive because I do it's not I don't find the idea of that repulsive or anything I just don't fall in love with them so that's why it just makes sense to be you know yeah so all your relationships have been with women yeah all my love relationships have been women um and uh but it got I I think you know it got to a point where I think it was my uh uh, yeah only like two two years ago I was like actually I've got to stop calling myself bisexual because I really never plan on having a relationship with a man and that I mean that the definition of bisexual it it, I suppose I could fall into that category technically Mm. but it felt more empowering actually to go no hold on I I need to I need to own this you know Mm. so so you're totally owning it now but (laughs) um did you have relationships when you were at school or as a teenager with women Mm. um no so I I always knew, I think from the age of six, I remember actually sitting down at a table with my mum and one of my friends, and I remember back then having these feelings for my one of my friend's older sister, and you know, it seemed completely normal to me. I had a massive crush, and I remember really wanting to impress her. Mm. And I thought to myself, I feel like I need to talk to the people I'm close to about this, you know, like five, six years old. So I sat them down, and I think I sort of alluded to it at the time. I felt like I had to confess, um... And through the years, I, I had these on-off kind of feelings. I didn't really know what they meant, and I always had little boyfriends. And I, I mean, I was always the girl with a boyfriend growing up. And it wasn't until I was 15 that I just completely fell madly in love with one of my best friends and was like, mm, something's not, you know. I don't think that this is just me admiring her. I, I actually think I want something to happen. But unfortunately, it was unrequited. Oh, did you try to get something to happen? I did. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely like, when I want something, I go for it. So I told her, I think uh, about six months in, after having a conversation with my mum, who I always felt very comfortable with, I was very close to her, I said to her, um, I, said, I remember sitting down, actually, and uh, chatting to her over the kitchen table and saying, Mum, have you ever have you ever had, like, feelings for a, f- a female friend before? And she just went into this amazing story about this connection she had with a friend as a teenager. And what was really bizarre was the name of that person was the same as the girl I was in love with. I was wow. like, that is a really weird coincidence. Yeah. And from then on, my mum became my confidant. And then about six months later, I was like, I really need to tell her. So I sat her down one evening. I said, I, I, yeah, I've got these feelings for you. And she was amazing about it. She was so lovely. Um, but she was also quite confusing for quite some time. I, I think the whole thing probably maybe did her head in a little bit, you know, you know teenager. and Did it ruin the friendship? Because that was the danger, isn't it? Um, it... Yes and no. It it we had turbulent times because we get we got on really really well and I don't think she wanted to lose me. But there were times where you know I'd I'd, I'd get drunk, you know, teenage drunkenness and and probably kind of push the boundaries a little bit in terms of like oh, I think you do have feelings for me, <laughs> like you're confusing me, you know, all that teenage angst. So we did we we did we fell out a few times, but 
we made it through and I'm actually still friends with her like wow. years and years later. So she's a wonderful person. She's married with a kid now. So. so just rewinding to the conversation when you were five or six, with this with your mum as well, you said you sat down with people closest to you. Yeah. Do you remember what you said and what they said? Well, the funny thing is, is I've got the memory, but I don't actually... I remember feeling like I wanted to, but I'm not altogether sure whether I actually went through with it. I remember knowing even back then that it was a big deal, despite the fact that we had um, we had a lot of gay friends, what with, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about, you know, this growing up in... In the cult, there was a, there was a, there was a lot of people who were in threesomes, like living threesomes. There were a lot of lesbians. I was kind of exposed to um, different lifestyles from a young age, so it was kind of odd because that was normal to me, and yet there was something in me that felt the shame. So I'm not, and I think maybe that came from the my dad's side of the family, not from my dad. My dad has always been really supportive of my sexuality, but. Um, my dad's side of the family were very quite old-fashioned. When I went through a phase where I wanted to be a boy, when I was really little, and, and asked everyone to call me Peter and cut my hair, and really? I yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't talk about this for years. And then one day I was on Diva FM. Do you know Diva magazine? Yeah. So you know their radio station. I was on Diva FM um, talking about my single "Never Gonna Let Her Go," I think it was, or "In Your Arms," and the story just came out. I was like, oh my God, I, I never talked about this publicly, and so. I was like, well, actually, maybe I should because there's no shame in it. And actually, there's a lot of kids. There's a lot of people I've met and go, oh, God, yeah, I really wanted to be a boy when I was little. I really wanted to be a girl. You know, it didn't manifest into anything. But I often wonder maybe it might have done had I not been shamed by the cult for it because I got really badly shamed by the cult and also that side of the family. For wanting to be called Adam? Uh, uh, Peter. Sorry, yeah. Peter. <laughs> Who's Adam? <laughs> Peter Adam. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, do you know, it is more common than you think, I think. Lucy Spraggan yes. as well went through a phase, for want of a better word, yeah. and, want, uh, and demanded to be called Max for a few years when she was a kid. Yeah, I think it's really common. I know a good few people who've, who've said the same thing and, and have sort of turned out... I mean, I would say I'm quite feminine, um, although I don't... I'm quite sort of, you know got my baggy jeans on today but whatever feminine means I don't even know what feminine means you know it's, it's different for everybody but um you know I I'm, I'm happy being a woman I feel like a woman um but it felt very it felt really real for me back then and I, I can honestly say that I don't know if um and I'll tell you the story in a minute but had I not had these quite shaming um episodes in that very pivotal point in my life around the age of like four or five you know maybe maybe I would want to identify as a man now I don't know who knows so you alluded to the fact that there was a lot of shaming and you alluded to the fact that you grew up in a religious cult from what age was that uh I believe I was about three or four um, and, and it was till I was 10 11 obviously I was young so getting the, the sort of timeline right is tough but um I mean I don't really have much of a memory before being in the cult, to be honest. It just felt like that was that was life. So, when you say cult, is it somewhere that you lived and they had certain ways of doing things? What what was like day to day life like? Well, it's really funny because uh, someone asked me what the definition of a cult was yesterday. Nobody's ever asked me that. And actually, what is the definition of a cult? Mm. It's kind of like well. Um, 
we so we we actually nearly moved to Arizona where where the sort of HQ was um, or the, where the leaders lived. Um, fortunately, we didn't. Although my mum bankrupted herself um, with the amount of trips that we took, um, very expensive. She gave all of her money. Like we lost the house because she gave it all to the to them. But we moved to London. So I was born in Bristol. Um, and we, we moved back and forth for a while, and then we moved to London to be with the sort of the London HQ. Yeah, but so it's an American cult, but you were you were in the UK. Yeah, it's an American cult, and it's been going for a really long time. And so we we lived in sort of shared houses with with other cult members, and um, our whole life was the cult. I did, um, funnily enough, actually was in a another. Uh, I mean, actually, it is. <laughs> If you look it up, it's actually it, it, it is counted as a cult, although no one would ever admit to it. That my dad was actually involved in, where they wouldn't let you go to school. You they they built their own school, or they just bought a house and put the children in it and just put them in different rooms and gave them books and said learn that's what happened to my oldest sister and you weren't allowed to spend any time with anyone outside of that group of people. And it was the same with. With the next cult we were involved in, which my dad had nothing to do with, it was my mum after they split up. So you were in two cults? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was okay. really, really cult vibes going on from the age of, uh, I don't know, a, maybe a year old, you know. And so my older sisters would remember a little bit more about um, the, the one my dad got us involved with. So then when my parents split up, we moved back to Bristol when I was eight months we moved to London mm-hmm. then my parents split up we moved back to Bristol when I was a few years old and then we moved back to London for this other cult which I said to you um, before I, I've decided not to name at this point in my life just because I don't think I'm in a place where I would want to cope with any I maybe I wouldn't get any contact from anyone but I really don't want that right now absolutely um, understandable so you were not permitted to go to school then normal school no we did go to normal school we just didn't hang out with any of the kids we just went to school and left um and i went to school with some of the cult members um one of whom became my sort of lifelong best friend um but unfortunately passed away um some years ago but um no there was no engagement with these kids outside of that okay and what did the cult believe then was it sort of um based around the bible was it was it sort of similar preachings so, well, i mean what did and what did they preach about lgbt people uh the, well they thought that well they were the interesting thing about them is that they were it depended what suited them so at one point they, they believed you could live forever in your physical body mm-hmm. and so i remember being taught that it people who died should be embarrassed that was the party line like if you you should be embarrassed and shamed like anyone so if anyone did die uh, uh who was close a close member of the cult it was because they just didn't believe enough and actually the founder died a few years ago and that's exactly what the two other founders said oh well you know he used to walk the walk but sometimes we felt he just wasn't talking the talk like mm, i think you're just saying this because you still want power control and money um so with the LGBT, well, what happened? Because, um, I mean, I remember the, the, the female... So there was two guys and a woman, and they were in a, a relationship together running this. Um, so, I mean, you know, I don't think that they were... I think they were open to homosexuality. So they were a throuple. They were a throuple, yeah. yeah. Okay. Which, you know, back in the 80s, you know, and 90s, uh, it was a pretty big deal, you yeah. know. 
And uh, I mean, this was a big thing, you know, they were on this morning TV, like there's documentaries about them. Um, they, um, I was asleep under my mum's chair once about five, we were in Arizona and this was when I was really going through the Peter thing mm. and, you know, I'd cut my hair short and because I don't really do anything by half. So I was like, nope. So everyone at school had to call me Peter. It was, it was a thing. And I woke up to hear the female leader who was a very charismatic but also terrifying woman and their main, their kind of tool, their powerful tool was shame. That's how they control people. Um, she pinpointed my mum and we're in a room, hundreds of people in this room, and she singled her out and started saying how disgusting and wrong it was that my mum had this little girl who was parading around like a little boy and how unnatural it was and something should be done and that my mother was a bad mother. And I remember being underneath mum's chair and it kind of, I literally physically felt her shame sink down the chair through into me. I could feel it, this heavy weight. Like my mum, I felt, I really felt for her. It was kind of like a, a heavy weight to carry as a little kid. And I, so I felt her shame, and then I felt my shame, and I was like, God, I'm wrong, I'm bad, I'm disgusting, there's something wrong with me, I must change immediately. And that was such a powerful message for me as a kid and something I carried for a really long time. And then I remember afterwards feeling so much like I wanted to please this woman and, and that if I did, everything would be okay, that I would be accepted. So I said to my mum, okay, I'll change, but can you ask her if I'm allowed to wear dungarees? Oh, and I just, I think about that little kid and I just want to give it a little hug, do you know what I mean? It's like... And how did your mum react when she was pinpointed out in a big room of people? Did she say anything, can you remember? No, she didn't, she didn't protect herself or me. Well, my mum was, you know, I love my mum, but she had, she had a lot of, uh, you know, damage herself and she wasn't in a place where she felt strong enough to go, excuse me. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, well, you can. Uh, podcast, excuse yeah. me, like, fuck off. Who the fuck do you think you are? Like, yeah. I'll raise my child how I want to. And actually, if this is what she wants and makes her happy, then I support her. That would have been the, the right mm. thing to say. But she just, yeah, she, she was ashamed herself. You know, I think it hit certain buttons, certain trigger points for her. You know, she, she had a tough time growing up. So that would have affected you for years then, I guess. Did you, did you change at all? Did you... Trans, like, well, dress differently? Or? 100%. Um, that's why I say I'm, God knows, you know, who I'd be now because I immediately, overnight, was like, okay, I, I need to be a little girl now. Um, I, I'm back in my place. What was I thinking? Okay, what does a little girl wear? Because I didn't like little girl stuff yeah. at all. None of it. I couldn't connect with any of it. Um, so, you know, I bought pink, hated pink, um, but I bought it and, um, grew my hair long again. And, you know, three years later, they were over in London and we were, um, what they call a convergence. And, you know, again, hundreds of people in the room and I'm sat on my mum's lap listening to this woman preach. And she was so powerful and intense that when she spoke, I would start crying. It was just, ugh, it was, it was quite jarring. It was, it was like, um... It was like a hammer, like, and but it, it hit me somewhere. It, it, I, I think when I think back now, it's like trauma coming out, mm. but like through tears. It's like oh, this is too much, but I didn't understand it. And she saw me in the crowd. And she was like, "Oh my God, look at you!" And she she took me and she carried me onto the stage and put me on her lap. And she was like, three years ago, 
she was on the wrong path, you know, she started sort of describing what I was like and saying how wrong it wasn't, and now look at her. Uh, she's a beautiful little girl, exactly as God intended. I know. And um, I remember feeling such pride and relief, and yeah. I'm a good girl now, you know. What, again, what a message to give a child. If I and, do, and how old were you then? Eight. Eight years old. I know. So it's like, if, if I'm this, I'm wrong, I'm disgusting. It's basically, if I'm who I am, yeah. and I am expressing that in the most beautiful, natural form, and I'm just going with it, I'm a free child, that I'm disgusting, I'm wrong, I should be ashamed, and so should my mother. If I toe the line and I do what you want me to do and I, and I fit into societal norms, then, then I'm a good girl and I'm acceptable. Uh, so years later when you decided or realised that you were bisexual or gay, you were not in a place to come out in the cult, really? No, I mean, if, yeah, it wouldn't have... I don't think it would even like come to mind um, at the time. I, you know, I remember actually having a friend who was very affectionate when you were in the cult, and um, I remember shaming her actually, me being the shame because I was so inwardly homophobic that um, I was like, I think she's a lesbian because she like she touched my shoulders. Like I couldn't cope with because of because of the um, intensity in the cult and the, the, the lack of boundaries, if anyone kind of came near me, I, I found that really difficult, especially if it was a woman. So this poor little girl, I, I, I basically told her close friends I thought she was a lesbian, really upset her. And I, I will always feel good. We're actually on good terms now. <laughs> Years later. I mean, I was eight. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, yeah, through the years, I think I desperately wanted to be a straight girl. I really did. I really wanted an easy life, you know. I wanted to be... I thought, you know, if I'm straight and I have a boyfriend and, and he looks good and we look good together, then everything's all right and I'll fit in. I just wanted to fit in. And was your mum sort of backing them up and saying, yeah, you do need to grow your hair and wear a dress? Um, I can't say I honestly remember what she said. Um, I do know that she supported my change, so... But, I mean, you got out eventually, didn't you? Did, did yeah, you yeah. and your family leave the cult? Yes, we did. We moved back to Bristol and um, and then uh, the sort of family sort of disbanded. Um, my, my oldest sister, actually, she moved to live with her dad when I was, like, seven. And then my other sister moved to live with our dad um, when I was ten. So it was just me and my mum from the age of about ten. Um, and then life was, yeah, took a, took a slightly different path. A less religious one? Definitely. Um, what was it like? Yeah, I mean, I think my mum always had to be involved in something intense. So she just, she got involved with things that I didn't have to really be involved with, but also felt quite, yeah, quite left field. <laughs> so what was it like then when you finally did come out to her? did admit it, admit um, that to her. I think it's it's really weird because, you know, we talk about come out, coming out stories. It's, it, it never felt like coming out, although it was coming out. Yeah. Um, it wasn't kind of like, I need to sit you down and tell you that... Because I didn't actually... I didn't want to put a name on it for years. Yeah. Not, not you know, not again until, like, like two years ago. Um, I talked about it. All my close friends knew. I, I mean, I had a... I lived with a woman for, like, three years and, and had a, a great relationship. And, you know, I, I was dating women all through my 20s, um, but also 
trying to date men at the same time, going back and hope, hoping that if I just dated the right one or if I just did this or that, you know, somehow I could... I just, yeah, I really wanted to be straight. But that shame was still in you then, wasn't it? Oh, I mean, it's... I was talking to my ex-girlfriend, um, one of my one of my ex-girlfriends the other day, um, about this, and because uh, I was writing the answers to an interview, and I was writing, and I realised that she had a big, um, she contributed a lot to to that shame falling away and because when we got together um, we had a massive age gap she was a lot younger than me and uh, she was over from Australia and um, she just was so I was the first woman she'd been with but she would just took to it like a duck to water you know and she was <laughs> quick learner she was a quick learner and she just I remember I remember saying to her when we, after we sort of first got together I was like I'm you know I, I hope this isn't you know weird for you I, I know it's quite a big deal when it first happens and you know I I hope you know look you know you can have space she was like no on the contrary I think it's really beautiful and natural and I thought oh maybe it is <laughs> and the more she she kind of instilled that in me and the more she would take my hand in public which is something I could never do in even in my long-term relationship really? never never be public at all I was terrified of judgment I was terrified of abuse and persecution she would just take my hand and living in London suddenly everything felt more liberal and anything goes and I suddenly looked around me and thought Actually, maybe this is really cool. Like, this is all right. I, I think I can let this go. And it just slowly started to slip away. And it's one feeds the other because, you know, the more I behaved in a way that was suggesting or saying, I don't have any shame, the less shame I felt. And that gave you the courage to sort of tell other people then, did it? Yeah. Like I say, my, clo- you know, my friends always knew, but I never used the G word and I never used the L word. Uh, I absolutely hated the word lesbian for years. Yeah, what is it about that? I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a great word. No. I've got to be honest. It's, no. it's not the best word. It's like my other word I hate is pamphlet. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Never heard anyone hate the word pamphlet. So, I mean, if you hand me a pamphlet about lesbians, (laughs) I've got a pamphlet for you, it's about lesbians. I might have to go and sort of vomit somewhere. It's just something about those. And it's a bit moist from the rain. Oh, moist, but everyone hates moist. Everyone hates the word moist. Um, But, uh, yeah. So you didn't ever have that sit-down conversation with your mum then? No, well, it was that it was that time when I was fifteen, and I said to her, "Mum, I, I think I've got feelings for a girl," and that yeah, was it, really. Was it. And then it was the same with my dad and my stepmom, who were also just beautiful. I mean, I've been really, really lucky with my family; they've always been wonderful about it. Like my dad, it was when I was eighteen, and I'd been dating this uh, South African girl, and and it was a crazy fling, and 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 she wasn't at the time she wasn't very nice. Also, on good terms with her um, years later, but. Um, I can't remember this. I mentioned it to my stepmom. I think I was visiting, and I was like, oh, "Maybe you could drop it into conversation with Dad." Anyway, so I think she did, and then we were all sat down one day, and he was like, "Listen, Kate, I, I literally, I don't care who you date as long as they treat you well and you're happy. I really don't care. I want to make that really, really clear." And that was lovely. And they've always been. They've always been amazing to my girlfriends. They love, you know, um, it's just lovely and sweet and it's not a thing. And as a child, those are the exact words that you want to hear, aren't they, really? 
a hundred percent it's like breathe a sigh of relief the people that you love most and and who love you the most and whose whose opinions actually do matter to you knowing that and, and I know because I don't like saying I don't I knowing that they accept me it's not about accept I, I don't need to be accepted this isn't something to be accepted knowing that they love me and don't care that's what I want to know not that they accept it and they don't they don't care well I normally end by sort of asking advice to people coming out but I think for you the question is more like if you could speak to like your younger self or young people going through that shame that you felt, mm-hmm. how would you tell them to get over that shame? Rather, rather than cope with coming out necessarily, but it's about how you deal with it yourself, isn't mm-hmm. it? Well, that's the thing, I think, because once... I think it's an inside job. Once you've, once you've confronted it and faced it with yourself, then it's much easier with everybody else because you don't care what people think then. Um, but if you haven't dealt with your own feelings about it if you are carrying any shame then you're always going to care what people think so I would say I mean shame's a big one it's not something you can just shake off um so if you are unfortunate enough to have been shamed and to be carrying these sort of deep heavy weights then I would say maybe it's important to go and talk to someone to help you process it um I'm always an advocate of that um of going and helping someone maybe even a, a professional who can help you just unpick it in your mind and in your heart so you're like so that you can release it because it's completely unwarranted shame you've got nothing to feel ashamed of who you are is beautiful and um and love is beautiful so I'd say yeah talk talk to someone you trust or or even you know some counseling if you need to um and um, I also find this I've been recommending this on all my interviews recently um affirmations are probably the most powerful thing I've found in the past few years um, in terms of changing the way you think and feel about yourself and I used to think when my mum used to suggest them years ago and I was like affirmations it's not going to work that's you know but actually so give us a quick affirmation then what's one that you tell yourself I love myself with all my perfections and imperfections I am enough I love that. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Now you talked about unpicking it and celebrating it. I think you kind of do that through your music, don't you? It was there ever a moment when you thought, "Oh, I'm not going to sing about women. I'm going to try and be straight with my music." Or was that never an option for you? Um, I I could never bring myself to 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 say he. Although I did in one song because I did. There was a there was a man when I was twenty that I that I broke up with because he wasn't a woman, but that I loved dearly, <laughs> and so I used a he. But I just used you. I just wouldn't use the female pronoun because I was I was scared. I was scared of judgment. Um, but I could never do that again. And you certainly celebrate it now with your music. <laughs> I do, <laughs> loud and proud. <laughs> cool. And if people want to go and find your music, where can they find it? Um, so you can find me on Spotify. Um, my name is with an E Y K A T E Y Brooks. Or you can go on my website. There's loads going on there now. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. All under Katie Brooks. Katie Brooks, thank you so much for chatting to us. It's my pleasure, Emma. Thank you for coming and uh, chatting with me. Massive thank you to Katie Brooks for sharing her unique story with me. You may have heard a couple of seagulls in the background there. Uh, that's because I recorded the interview in Clandidno just after Elfest Music Festival at which she performed. And I tell you what, please do check out her music. It is brilliant. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. We'd also love to hear from you on Twitter. You can find us there at Come Out Stories. I'm Emma Goswell. And Coming Out Stories is a What Goes On media production. 
Next time round, you'll hear from James Barr. You'll know him for being an out and proud radio presenter, stand-up comedian and star of the hit podcast A Gay and a Non-Gay. He wasn't always out, though. He told me he was actually quite religious in his youth and struggled with coming out. At that point, I came out to not my mum, but my sister, who was on a gap year in Canada. And I emailed her and said, like, I'm gay. <laughs> and she and I were both very Christian, so I used a lot of Bible verses to tell her that it was actually okay and that God still loved me and, yeah, 